This is Mary Ann Window. And this is Mary Lou Lord. And welcome to our podcast, How the Hell Did That Happen? Episode hey, five. Everybody. Yay, five. <laughs> Five's a good number. You can fit five I love your, five. You can fit five on your hand. I love five. <laughs> yeah, five's good. I think it's lucky. It's it is five. lucky. Is it a Chinese lucky number? I don't know. I think three and eight. Uh, four's mm. bad. I know four's bad. Is it? Apparently. But I, I don't like, like four. I, like, I don't really like four. <laughs> See, I like four. I <laughs> you like, love four. I know. I like 44 and 47. They're my two I favorites. I don't yeah. know why, but anyway. Um, Five and 15 are mine. Oh, well, mm-hmm. four, 47, five, 15. Remember right. that for later. <laughs> okay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you never know. Anyway, um, I need to make a correction for last week because I was talking about that book um, that Barney Hoskins wrote about the West Coast rock sound from the 70s and the origins of it when I was talking about Long Branch Penny Whistle, which I totally got wrong anyway. (laughs) Um, But anyway, it was Glenn Glenn Fry and um, J.D. Souther in that band. But the book was called Hotel California and I highly recommend it. It's really good. Cool. It it talks about all those people um, of the time, like the birds and the early origins of the troubadour and funny stories that came out of that and of course Joni Mitchell, Linda Ronstadt, Neil Young, Buffalo Springfield, the Eagles and Flying Burrito Brothers. They're all in it. Hmm. Cool. Laura. Laurel Canyon, our favorite Laura Nero. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Cool. So you like that book? I did. I really did like it. It was actually, it wasn't really anything that I hadn't sort of been aware of, but what I did, and this is really nerdy, I'm going to tell you, I actually made a playlist of all the artists that were mentioned in the book so that when I was reading about them. I could listen to them at the same time. Oh, so I God, could that get, is. <laughs> I know, it's bad, but I, I just wanted to sort of get a feel of what their music was like when I was reading about it if I wasn't sure because some of them I'd never heard before mm-hmm. or I had heard but I'd sort of dismissed as mm-hmm. being annoying like the Eagles. Mm-hmm. But, see, <laughs> you, all Americans I know hate the Eagles but in Australia, I, I don't hate them. Well, no. Okay, they, well, in Australia, they're what? Well, they're sort of like a a good time rock band. Mm. People like them. They do really well that, here. That's weird. That it seems opposite because you were telling me that in Australia, um, the Grateful Dead were kind of overlooked. Yeah, well, um, they weren't and, on mainstream radio. Yeah, well, here they they unlike the Eagles were. Uh, pretty beloved mm-hmm. um it's pretty cool you know the grateful dead in my book um are really cool i love the dead and the eagles get a bad rap and i was a little bit surprised but but not really because i can't think of when the dead might have even toured australia really i don't if know ever. that they ever did but i always just dis- well see i'm a little bit younger than the dead era as well because I was born in no no you fit no you fit right in because they had a comeback 
um, in the 80s where anyone that was from, you know, 16 to, to 25 or, or older, you know, the, the older f- first go around of deadheads. Yeah. Right, so you you would have been in there. You you would have seen the Grateful Dead. <laughs> I know, but I didn't. But I always just thought they were bad tie dye jam band. <laughs> Can't be bothered, right? Yeah, yeah, I just I just wasn't into that kind of music at all. But then, uh-huh. when, and it, so I just dismissed them. I just thought, oh no, Grateful Dead hippie crap. Not interested. <laughs> yeah, long song that goes on forever. <laughs> Bloody, you know, pothead people. Swaying uh-huh. around and all of that, <laughs> so I just didn't even think about them. But then, when you played me um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, and and you said, "Oh, I know," but the, these albums are really good. And it was um, American Beauty and what was the song? Was it Box of Rain? Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and brilliant. And I just thought, oh wow, they sound like you know every band that's in the limelight spotlight of Americana right now. Mm-hmm, exactly. And it's, and it's like yeah. people, you know, sort of write off the Grateful Dead as being this jam band like Fish or something like that. <laughs> and I don't even know Fish. I'm just throwing them out there because they're a band I won't listen to. And same with Dave Matthews' band. I just can't get mm-hmm. into that. But people love it. People embrace it and they love it and they love that live mm-hmm. thing of it. I don't know. It's kind of like a cult. But the Grateful Dead, uh, I reckon, <laughs> they just sound like Wilco or, you know, any of those kind of Americana-type bands. Mm. But really good songs. Really good songs, yeah. So, yeah, I, that was just something that I thought was interesting about the differences, um, a couple of the differences anyway, between Australia liking, embracing the Eagles more, thinking that the Eagles are cool and and the Dead not so much. When here it's the, uh, but again, opposite lands. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm not speaking on behalf of my country. I don't know. No, I think you'd know. You're pretty hip. Yeah. Um, Well, see this. (laughs) Anyway, doesn't matter. So you like you like that book? I did. I like that book, and it was really good. And the cover actually is really cool. It's got a photo of Jackson Brown standing by a pool. And it's mm. a really iconic photo. Um, cool. But it's it's really good. It's a good book. I liked it. I'm sure plenty of other people that are listening will, would would like it if they're into that kind of thing. I get a book. <laughs> yeah. I got a book this week. Oh, what is um, it? It's called um, The Record Store of the Mind. Oh. And it's written by Josh Rosenthal. Oh. And Josh, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so cool. So, uh, yeah, this is a really cool book. It's kind of small. Seems like a little memoir. I've only, I've read up until the, uh, of course, up until the Tia Blake. When he's talking about Tia Blake. And, um, yeah, so in the back, it's there's a little, um, what is it called <laughs> on the back of the book when? A blurb. Uh, a blurb, yeah, okay. <laughs> blurb. A synopsis. And this but. Yeah, blurb, I think. Uh, So this is Thibaut Burnett. He says, uh, Josh Rosenthal is a records man, records man. Uh, He he is also a musician's record man. 
He is in the line of Samuel Charters and Harry Smith. In this age where we have access to everything and know the value of nothing, musicians need people like Josh to hear them when no one else can. That's cool. That's really um, cool. So, yeah. So it's let's like see. the book version of liner notes. Okay. Yeah. So that's, um, that's cool. Yeah. T Bone so, Burnett. Yeah. There's there's a lot in here. There's so many many people that I've never heard of. I'll just read a couple just okay. glancing through this. I'm gonna read off some names that some of you guys might know, but I have no idea. Um, so George Cromarty, Max Oaks, Harry Tossig, Bob Hadley, um, Suni McGrath, Richard Crandell, Mark Fawson, George Stavis, William Burchett, Michael Chapman, Robbie Basho, I've heard of him, um, and uh, Fred Gerlach. Wow. Uh, so a lot of these people I'm imagining are blues artists as well as um, some very uh, B-sides of B-sides of, you know, when it comes to folk, folk people and guitar, guitar people. Um, but yeah, I mean, his, his listening ship is exemplary, really. Um, so I'm totally looking forward to reading all of this book. Um, I've got another book, and then I'll get off the topic of books, but it's no, been floating okay. around <laughs> been floating around in the back seat of my car. I've got a it's really bad. I keep thinking that I'm gonna go to the park or someplace and read it, but I just gotta take it out of my car and and actually read it. But it's the second uh, Viv Albertine book. Oh um, I don't know if you read uh, close, 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 music, 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 boys, boys. Uh, <laughs> no, I haven't um, read it yet. It was I've great. I've read bits of it, yeah. but I haven't read the whole thing. Yeah, I read that. That was awesome. And this new one is um, Throw Away Unopened. Let me just check the name of it, the title. To to Throw Away Unopened, right, a memoir. Mm. So, yeah, this is maybe the second book or the third. Um, wow. Anyway, so that, that sounds awesome. interesting. I bet there's lots yeah. of good stories in there. Definitely. Well, do you know, I heard um, about a similar kind of Tia Blake-esque person during the uh. week because someone sent me a message um, telling me that they were writing a book about um, Phil Oakes. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently there's a connection to this woman called Tina Dale. Um, mm, ne- never oh, no, heard of Tina her. Date, sorry. Tina Date. And she's... She's from Melbourne, mm-hmm. Australia, and I did. And, and they were saying, well, "Can you do you know anything about her? Because I want to interview her for the book." And I said, "Well, I've never heard of her, but I'll do some digging around." And I found this mm-hmm. article that was written about her, and apparently, she only re- released one album her career um, mm-hmm. in her career, but it's been long, varied, and fascinating. And there's a whole article about her. And I actually, um, I won't go into all the details, but she ended up in New York in Greenwich Village and playing a lot of places there. But um, hmm. she supported a number of international performance performers during their Australian tours, including Judy Collins, 
and she became friends with Judy Collins. But um, so I tracked down the author of that article and he's going to send me some information about her. I'm going to find out some more about this woman and, and see what, and see what she's all about. Because I'd never heard of her, but apparently she's revered in folk circles. Wow. So there you go, Tina, Tina Date. Tina Date. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I, I, I forgot also to to mention that Josh Rosenthal, he runs a, a record label called Tompkins Square, which is awesome if anybody wants to check that out. Yeah, they've got some great things. I've looked, I've looked that up as well. And, yeah. Uh, Really good. It's so good to have these labels with passionate people that are willing to put stuff out because they like it and they think people oh, should yeah. hear it, you know. Definitely. They're, they're yeah. our Preserve it. Yeah, they're the people right. that we need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, no one's getting rich off that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, well. so, yeah, it's really, it's like they're archivists. Yeah, well, they like are, the, and it's like Harry, Harry Smith and Lomax and all those guys. Like, thank God, and these guys are like modern day, you know, keep it, keeping it going, keeping the, the torch lit. Yeah, exactly, and they're historians as well, and it's like, you know, they can write whole theses on these things, and and people are very theoretical about music sometimes, but mm. these people, you know, that they listen to it. And they get it, mm. and they're not oh, just, yeah. and they're not just talking about it because they want to sound smart or whatever. <laughs> you know, they're actually immersed in it, and you know, you get people that have to know reel off all the facts and figures and know everything, but you get the sense that they don't listen. They just like to know mm-hmm. some people, but you know, these guys that are that like like Josh that you're saying they're just oh they live it really for sure. passionate about it yeah yeah well it's kind of like anyone that owns a record store these days isn't it yep absolutely because you're not going to make a lot of money yep you're doing it it's a dying breed yep exactly you've you've been in uh Looney Tunes a bit over the last few months haven't you yeah I have um He's been, it's Pat McGrath, he owned Looney Tunes that was in between Berklee College of Music and the Boston Conservatory on Boylston Street for 33 and a third years. Um, That's and then Berkeley <laughs> It was, though. And Berkeley, um owned the building, and they wanted to put a J.P. Licks in as if they needed yet another yogurt store yogurt store so um pat had to get out um after being there for that long and he um after a few years he took a break and then he reopened now in alston on harvard ave um 16 harvard ave in alston and um yeah the store is great looney tunes records And, and i work there once in a while yeah, well, I've I've seen some of your live videos from there, and I went past there a couple of times, but I didn't get a chance to go in. But um, he's got a lot of stuff in there. Yep, I'd hate to be. The he he really person. knows. He knows his stuff um, mainly classical, right? Um, he he's really got caught. You know, he has that market. Him and maybe six other dudes in the country know um, classic, classical vinyl like he does. 
Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing because they're a real niche market. And if you don't know, oh, you, yeah. if you don't know your stuff, you're not going to do anything, you know, because those people are so fanatical and, and meticulous oh, yeah. about what they get and mm-hmm. what they need and what they're looking for. And, you know, I would just sail through oblivious. I'd have no idea because I've, mm-hmm. I've never been a classical connoisseur. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a whole hidden market, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the reasons that he's able, that he's been able to thrive and not exactly thrive, but survive um, is because um, not only is vinyl, well, vinyl is, I guess it's coming back a bit, but um, in this day and age, everything is, is on the, is online really. But um, with the vinyl, market for classical um again he he really knows knows it inside out putting yeah. his so putting it, his knowledge to work yeah so he's um kind of i got he's got a little bit of a hold on that where not everyone would mhm that's pretty cool so we were talking about um busking a couple of episodes ago, and we asked Phoebe what her experiences, did she have any stories from busking? She told us a couple, but I wanted to ask the question of you. I mean, you've probably done more busking than anyone I know. I mean, I know there are a lot of buskers out there, but you're a, you're a pretty <laughs> prolific busker in, in your day. And um, now you're sort of carrying the torch over to Annabelle and Matt and people like that. And and seeing them, giving them the tips and tricks. And I just wanted to ask you, Mary Lou, have you got any memorable busking stories? Well, of course you do, but I want you to tell them to me. I do. Um, One of my most memorable um, was at the very beginning of um, my busking alone. I, I played a little bit when I went to I went to Berkeley College of Music and I played a little bit with my roommate Shirley and our friend Debbie but we just kind of goofing around in Boston um took the guitar down and made just a little bit of money and just did it for the fun of it really um but when I started to take it a little bit more seriously um was when I was living in London and I was I was pretty broke um and I thought you know, maybe I could try this busking and um, get a, get a little bit of extra money for the week. Um, and so I got, uh, I didn't even have a guitar when I lived there. So I got a Hondo guitar. I bought it and went down to Shaftesbury Avenue, Sharing Crossroad. Um, and I bought this old Hondo and no case couldn't afford the case <laughs> so <laughs> I know pathetic and I took the guitar that night um and a little wicker basket and I set up my little busking pitch at Holborn which is um right beneath Fleet Street uh it's kind of a bu- business section of London um and I so I set up I had a wall behind me, which is always good because you don't ever want someone coming up from behind you, grabbing you. Um, 
So I had been playing for about an hour and this guy came down the stairs and I noticed that the guy had a like a ring of black around his mouth and I thought, oh, that's kind of weird. Oh my God. And he had, <laughs> and he was holding a paper bag and he had the bag in, up to his mouth and I thought, I assumed that it was like booze in it, like booze yeah. in the bag. Um, and then I looked at him a little closer because he was standing right next to me at this point, and I noticed he only had one arm, oh. and he had a and he had a dog with him, like it looked like a little black lab, and the dog Marianne only had three legs. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, they balanced each other out. Then. No, I'm serious. This dude, a one-armed man and a three-legged dog, and uh, with this bag and the and the ring around his mouth. So I'm just like, what do Sounds I do? Sounds pretty you know, ominous. <laughs> oh work. no no yeah so what funny. happened he came and stood there he he uh stood there and then but then he him and the dog sat down next to me and they fell asleep how uh, close after, were they they were sitting right next to me like mm. i was against the wall and they were leading they were sitting also against the wall sitting down right. and the dog was laying down Okay. So I was playing. I had played for about maybe two or three hours, and I noticed that when he and the dog came uh, and sat with us, I was making more money <laughs> than I was before, <laughs> and I assumed it was be- it was de- pity money. And I'm sure people thought, "Oh, poor little gypsy family, homeless people." Um, <laughs> But I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm making some money. They're being very quiet and good. and um, So I'm just playing. And then the guy wakes up a few hours later. And he stands up and he stretches up his one arm. And the dog stands up and kind of shakes and yawns. And then I, the guy stood, moved, and he stood right in front of me, like facing me. Um, and I thought, what? What's he doing? I had no idea what he was doing. Was he doing. a big guy? I don't remember. I don't think so. I think he was just a skinny guy with one arm. <laughs> um, but anyway, he stood directly in front of me, facing me, and I was like, "What?" You know. And all of a sudden, he looked at me and he unzips his pants and he whips out his dick <gasps> and he proceeds to piss all over the money in the oh, little wicker basket no that's <laughs> oh, yeah. terrible oh my god I know. so i was like oh shit right so I, I had the guitar on me and i didn't have anything else with me maybe a backpack or something small but i so i had the guitar still on me and i just bolted down the platform oh my god and i, I looked too yeah, and I looked back, and there he was picking through the money, and I, was, oh. and I realized there and then I just got robbed by this guy pissing on. A one-armed on. bandit. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, my God. And then I realized that later I told somebody that, and they said, what do you look like? You know, and I said, he had this ring around his mouth. And they're like, oh, dude, he was huffing. Yeah. And I, I didn't know anything about that. So he must have had a can of spray black yeah. spray paint that every time he took a huff it I made a little ring around oh my oh god my so god. I thought to myself wow that was interesting am I really 
going to do this again. Um, but I did, and but there were new rules. Yeah, <laughs> there was a new bet. sheriff in town. <laughs> uh, yeah, no one was ever going to sit next to me. And um, yeah, so that was one of one a story that I could never forget. I could never make up. Um, but that was yeah, that was the story. Oh my god! And I bet you never got robbed busking again. Well, I it, you know it's interesting about busking. People ask me that, and I, I'm sometimes surprised. Yeah, well, that was that was really random because that was probably the only time. And you know what? Maybe he was just so fucked up that. He might have thought that the basket was a toilet. I don't Maybe, know. That, that a urinal. I don't Pretty quick I don't know. to sort through the money. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but but I get asked the question, like, do you ever get nervous? Do you, you know, that you're going to get mugged or whatever? And, um, and my whole uh, mentality uh, when I was busking, I always try to remember that this isn't my space. This is everybody's space and I'm just going to try to not invade it Mm. right and I try to make myself sort of as invisible as I could you know part of the fabric of the city really Um, something that wasn't awful to look at or awful to hear or just or made people uptight (laughs) so I try to bring something nice um, nice to this very urban area because when you're busking you're generally in an urban area um, but, um, I never really was too fearful, um, what would happen, uh, if I wasn't playing, if I was just sort of setting up, um, there'd be people that might come down and they're going to give me a little, they're going to kind of get in my face, right? They've gotten in my face, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to play? Are you going to play any Janice? What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, and, and I just keep like on... Un- get setting myself up and that some of them they would be right in my face and I would continue to on to plug the stuff in get the guitar going because I knew that when I was able to play that that something about that protected me yeah um so I'd plug myself in I wouldn't shove them away or tell them to leave or stop what I was doing I would just keep going get plugged in and then I was then I would be able to play and the moment that I would start to play there would be a huge change in their demeanor and instead of fucking with me (laughs) or just getting in my face or whatever they would get very protective of me and uh, they they're like oh you know like (laughs) they could see the calm come over them and they they were like oh this is different and this is not what we expected and kind of thing they just calmed them down and they became like more like don't fuck with her yeah well that's they were going to protect me (laughs) yeah because i think anyone who is particularly a singer or a performer in an intimate space which even though you're out in the public it it still is a pretty intimate space when you've just got a circle of people around you watching maybe yeah um they get you you're vulnerable you you show mm-hmm. a vulnerability that you're putting yourself out there mm-hmm. you know you're not you're not actually um commanding people to look at you but you you're offering that of yourself mm-hmm. so that people can can enjoy it or they can move on or whatever but right. you're giving them a choice so those aggressive people are probably thinking hang on this person's actually 
putting a lot out there and giving me something exactly yeah and it calmed them down and it and it it made them realize that they're being kind of a dick you know and and to back the fuck off and that I'm doing that I'm not going to be screaming I'm not going to be begging I'm not going to be making a big production or pushing anything in anybody's face Right. And so <laughs> they're either like, give her money, you know, yeah. or, or pay attention. She's yeah. good. Or don't fuck with her. Yeah. You know, so they get it was just always interesting to to watch that change come over them. Um, but I, but as long as I was playing music or singing, I was protected. It was those periods of time in between when somebody came upon me and they didn't know what I was doing or what I was going to do. Um, that was actually the most vulnerable, even more so than me being vulnerable while I was playing because the playing part protected me. Yeah, well, you were playing in front of a murderer, I remember. Uh, wait, the what? Mu- <laughs> the murderer, Castle Neck Mike. Oh, my God. I saw a, oh my God. I, I saw a documentary about him. And he was like hanging around the subways in Boston and all of that. Oh yeah, and, yeah. All and the then time I asked I knew you, him. and you told me that you, yeah, I know that guy. So yeah, tell the story of him. Did you oh, come across God. him? Yeah, I'd see him all the time, um, at, in the subway or around Boston Common. Um, I I knew him a little bit. I would talk to him, and he was. Um, he seemed he seemed really quiet to me, and like this air of intensity and and it was something definitely that might might turn a lot of women on in the same way that a lot of women are turned on by convicts. Right, right. Like like you didn't need to know that. He, I mean, he wasn't a convict yet, but he had a convict's heart. Yeah, you know, and 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 it was like this very intense, um, quiet, uh, what, is, what is the word I'm looking for? Like anything could happen. Yeah, he was unpredictable. Uh, totally, yeah, that's yeah. it. Very unpredictable, very quiet and intense. He was, he was a very, he was kind of attractive in his own way, very tough-looking, attractive guy that, um, you know, I'm sure that... Uh, a woman like th- these girls that were with him, they yeah. they probably felt that you know they were swayed by that kind of a guy. Well, the story that I saw was a documentary um, called "Stalkers Who Kill." I think it was on <laughs> um, Netflix, but yeah. it was about um, because he did end up killing one of his girlfriends outside the club. There, in, he um, did, yeah. yeah, and and she was actually the daughter of a journalist for. The Boston Herald was it? Something it was something, like some big uh, paper. Yeah, yeah, and um, and oh, maybe it was the Washington Post. I think even. I think it was the Washington yeah. Post actually, because I don't think he had to come up to Massachusetts, the dad, yeah. to um, do some investigating, yeah, um, regarding the death of his daughter, right? And and this guy who killed the girl, he ended up killing himself, um, so no one ever found right. out much about it but yeah he was a very aggressive person and he had mm-hmm. like back in those days 
the only people that had tattoos on their necks or faces were like crims and stuff like that, you know, mm. people that were really, you know, bad. They mm-hmm. wanted people to know that they were bad. And he had a big... Oh, yeah. He had a big castle. <laughs> he had a castle tattooed on, on his, his neck. neck. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So what was his real name? Is it something... It sounded like castle, didn't it? It was Mike something. Mike. I don't know. But, yeah. oh, my God. What a... What a see, that's what I, I'm getting off the track here, but... So he told, he told the girl that he was going to kill her, you know, and I think she tried to... Um, get get the police involved and somebody didn't do something and then um one day he just shot her in front right in front of the music club bun Raddies, um and he was a regular mm-hmm. in that club um so that was that was really weird um didn't he start that, a big fight in there didn't he who did he, he he started i went to see bikini kill that's right two weeks before that happened. I saw Bikini Kill at the Middle East in Cambridge. Um, and Mike Castleneck somehow was in the audience. And I and he, I don't know what exactly transpired, but he went after Kathleen. He was going to kill her. Wow. And thank God there were um, a bunch of women in the audience that just, I'd say maybe eight women jumped on him. And Kathleen was able to to get away, as did the rest of the band. But um, if those women hadn't come to her defense, he was on a mission to kill. I think, Um, didn't he actually punch her? He might have. uh, He might have have hit her. I'm not sure. Or tried to. But I was there, and Mm. I remember it was a huge, it was crazy, absolutely crazy. Yeah, see that that again. That's the community around that protect mm. that protect because it's like you say about the the tough guy, you know, wanting to sort of protect you as a performer when you're busking. It's like you know, here's this woman on stage who is vulnerable, uh. and all the people that were there to sort of support made sure she was okay. Well, you know, no, I'm not saying you know anything about anyone's music here or anything or um but it's a little bit like road rage right like um when somebody beeps at you or gives you the finger or whatever um like I I just kind of let them go right because and I certainly don't instigate I don't beep or or I'm not aggressive and I'm not offensive I'm very defensive right I just like whatever but um, so I, I don't antagonize situations, right? And I think that, again, because I'm not loud and I'm not shouting, I, it's so a little bit like the road rage thing, like I could be aggressive and bark up the wrong tree and something could happen to me. Like I could think like, yeah, I'm going to be the crazy guy driving down the road and piss and flip off everybody and get out of my way. And da, da, da. and you, because people like that might meet somebody crazier, yeah, you know what exactly. I'm saying? You know, right. So in a way like music making, if you're in a punk band and you're kind of aggressive, um, you gotta be like careful or kind of anticipate that maybe you might get somebody going yeah. you know if, if you're a little bit 
political or if you're loud or if you're a little bit aggressive. Um, so I, I kind of couldn't be like that. Not that I'm, um, maybe when I was young, I'd, I'd kind of let every, <clears throat> everyone else do it for me, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But I, but yeah, there was such a fine line when you're in a situation that is not your own space. Yeah. And, you know, like when you're in your own community, in your own space, you can say stuff like that. But I was always just very respectful of everyone because I, I had to be the guy driving in traffic that couldn't flip people off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's a good analogy. I like it. Yeah, well, I don't flip people off when I'm driving in America because I'm just scared that someone's going to have a gun under the seat. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have to worry so much about that here, but still. No. So that was an early, pretty early on story that you told us about the the wicker basket and then, and it sort of set you on your way for busking 101. <laughs> What a hard lesson to learn straight away, having someone piss on your money and lose it like that. <laughs> I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't be touching it. I hope yeah, you just... No. I, see, if that was me, I probably wouldn't have gone back. I would have just gone, nah, all too hard. <laughs> Not interested. <laughs> I don't want someone pissing on me. No way. Um, but you didn't. You went back and you worked out that it was a pretty good way, a better way of... Um, Making a few bucks than having to wait tables and clean up after people. So, you know, it, it is a creative thing. And, and you know, you become your own jukebox. You become your own radio station. Mm. And we've talked about that before. You know, you get to play songs that you want to hear and you want people to hear. But give us another, What what's one of your favourite busking stories? Because that was a bit scary, I mm. reckon. <laughs> It was memorable. It was obviously a very memorable story. But what's one of your favorite, more uplifting stories? Uh, Well, on the flip side um, of that story, um, it's it's a flip side of that story. So about maybe four years later, I at this point had a bit, you know, I had been busking for about four years or so. Five, maybe. Um, I went to San Francisco with, because my friend Jim was out there at a, at a music conference, and I thought, oh, good, I can stay there. I have a place to stay and a buddy in town, and um, that'll be cool. So I went up to San Francisco, and I, I don't think that I had been there before, um, and I, I, I really loved it. I, I played at Powell Street at the at the Powell turnaround where the trolley goes up the hill and then it (laughs) comes down and turns around and people are kind of roped in there like cattle like literally there's a rope and people stand behind it I know I've been there okay yeah (laughs) so there and Embarcadero um I remember and then I went I ventured out to Berkeley um I remember I was kind of freaked out because, as you know, I have claustrophobia. Yes. And I <laughs> and they, I had to ride the subway, and the subway went under the ground for quite a long time. And I thought, oh my! And I was also petrified of earthquakes, so oh, I thought, yeah. geez, what what do they do down here if there's an earthquake? <laughs> but anyway, I remember the the ride over, and I got to Berkeley, and 
I remember that I set up on the corner of Telegraph and Bancroft. Um, I don't exactly remember if it was particularly a good area or bad area. I just remember that's where I was. Uh, So I was playing out there for about an hour, and I had a few people watching me, a nice little group. Um, Again, I don't know the demographics of the city. I just wanted to play. They might have been upscale or not. I don't remember. But I had a good little crowd watching me, and there was this man in the crowd. Uh, I'm guessing he was probably a homeless person. He didn't have any shoes on, and he um, didn't have a shirt on. And he was kind of scruffy, and probably in his early 50s. And I was playing this fight, 1988, I guess. Um, I, was, I was playing, and I'd play a song, and people would clap and maybe give me money. And after I played the song, he would kind of reach into his pocket and look up at me like, I don't have any money, like this this puppy eyes. And he oh. pulled the pocket out um, to show me that it was empty. And uh, like, and shrug his shoulders, like, what am I gonna do? You know, kind of like, <laughs> and um, and I look, at, would look at him, saying, "It's okay, it's okay. I know it's okay. What, what am I gonna do? You know." <laughs> so, and then <laughs> played another one, and the same thing. People clapped. Some gave me money, and he did the pocket, show me the empty pocket. Uh, so the third song, um, same thing again. He's dancing around. People are. Or hanging around, and he, I could tell he was getting really, like, a little bit angry at this point, and he, and he was looking at his pocket again, and this time he kind of wasn't looking back up at me, he was just looking at his pocket, and I could tell he, his face changed, and he came up with an idea, so what he did was, with his right hand, he held his pocket, and with his left hand, he assisted the right hand, to proceed to pull the entire pocket off of his pants and throw the pocket in the case. Oh, my God. And I know. And it, and his pants, he destroyed his pants. They were all big, you know, falling off. Uh, so anyway, he threw the pocket in the case, and I just looked at him like, wow. And then he walked away. And That's amazing. He, and then he just kind of looked back at me and was sort of smiling. And... I just, my, you know, it was one of those moments like, this is fucking cool, you know? Exactly. And I have his pocket still. Oh, you do? I was going to ask oh, yeah. you that. Yeah, yeah, I do. That's really cool. And I was going to say, he's obviously already given someone the shirt off his back. So what's he got well, left? <laughs> <laughs> or he lost it or something, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So that was the opposite polar opposite of the first story but kind of the same <laughs> well yeah because it's in telling way. you i mean that, not the same at all but do you know what i mean like the but both. it's the same in that you're connecting with people in a certain way that you're either um you know either way you're making connection and and it's how you take what you take away from that connection that's going to um give you something so well, they were all every time I played, there would be like a, a, even a tiny lesson. There would always be a lesson, yeah, um, in the 
understanding of people um, because it really is like an incredible social experiment to be in the middle of of life going on around you and being part of it but not part of it at the same time you know being more like a fly on the wall or a, or something like that or a, or a or just a, something like a weed growing out of a crack in the sidewalk yeah well that's right well it's it's also something that um you get to observe a lot of different people from different walks of life so especially if you're in a public space like you say oh yeah it's the people space and it doesn't matter who you are you're entitled to be there so you'll get the down and outers and you'll get the the you know incredibly wealthy business people who are you know and sometimes you know it teaches you a lesson about not to judge Mm -hmm. people from oh totally look like or what they're wearing or oh totally absolutely yeah because the you know these two people were kind of similar in many ways but the outcomes of this little story of these two stories was completely different um and it could have been the same and but it wasn't and so if I had been um I don't know the the, I mean when you get your money pissed on when you had this expectation that this was your new friend I I, I didn't develop some kind of a grudge or judgment against homeless people or street people right I was just like okay well whatever and and I'm glad I didn't because the other guy might have might have told him to fuck off or or just just been a, a jerk to him exactly you know what I mean exactly yeah so every everyone is so different it's amazing yeah and it, it's just it's kind of heartening to know that you know even everyone is there for a reason and we don't know what the reason is like it could be <laughs> someone's catching a bus or catching a train or someone just wants to hear the music or someone's had a really bad day or someone's had a really or good somebody day. wants to be warm yeah exactly which is what I did you know that was the the initial reason that I well I thought that the busker was good but the initial reason that I started busking um, was I used to watch this guy when I lived in London. Um, I lived in a squat and we didn't have any heat, so to avoid going home, I just hang out in the subway and watch the buskers and one day I saw this guy mark uh well well not one day I was there every day yeah and he we were became friend friendly and he asked me to watch his guitar in the spot his busking spot while he went to the bathroom and um while he was gone I picked up his guitar and I played a couple of chords and someone threw a pound coin in the case and it was this light bulb moment where I could all I could think of was the meter (laughs) in the squat because we had this really old-fashioned meter where if you put 50 pence in it you could get in that particular apartment you could get electricity for like four days or whatever and I I had a uh, access to electricity in the squat so I had a little hair dryer um, that's what I used to warm up the area uh, that I slept in, which was under a pool table that I draped blankets <laughs> over. <laughs> so I felt like, okay, I'm pulling my weight in the squat. There was about seven of us that lived there. Um, and I was able to get money by busking for the meter in the basement to have electricity to be warm. So just, uh, it was, you know, by 
absolute necessity yeah. um, that turned into a passion. And I realized that, okay, I can be my own DJ. I can play any song that I want to play for people, except that I have to be the person that plays it. I'm not carrying turntables down in the subway with me. I've got to learn how to naturally and physically do that song I like, you know. Yeah, and that's creative too because you're actually challenging yourself to be that that middle person that gets it out there as well. It's Definitely. your interpretation and, and connection to that <laughs> song. And back then we weren't distracted as distracted by now everyone's got earbuds in and everyone's got their iPhones out and their phones and their smartphones and their tablets and it's just everyone is walking around in a very public space but they're in very private worlds still now. So back then that when I was playing it was before that incredibly dramatic change happened and everyone was sharing the same air uh same the same whatever they were hearing all mm. the senses um seeing and hearing everyone was publicly aware of the same thing because they weren't all connected up with their gadgets right so um it was a really cool time to be a busker uh because i felt um and it was also a time that record deals and making records wasn't that easy yeah so someone that i adored like sean colvin didn't even have a record deal yet so i thought oh this is my mission in life to learn her songs and stand anywhere i can and play them for people because she doesn't she's not going to be on the radio because she doesn't have a record out right so it was this amazing time to be doing all this because it felt i got a, a big sense of satisfaction playing sean colvin's songs for people i mean, I mean that's a very folk tradition yeah. it's not everyone that gets to make a record um and eventually she of course got a record deal and um started making her own records but by then i had caught up a little bit with um my i don't know my being able to play and i and i started writing a few of my own songs by then and learning um i, I was able to learn more songs as my technique as i got a little bit better basically cuz i wasn't very good when i started i knew maybe four chords and um i would play very very long songs um songs with 11 verses because i could remember the words <laughs> but i couldn't remember the chord progression and i was just a very weak guitar player i still am no you are not no i'm i am very You're weak really um, good. i can't no. play half the things that you can you laugh at me because you say oh you can't i know three chords marianne shut up so yeah, but you're a, a really capo. good coordinated <laughs> finger picker whereas i can't do that to save my life well i you know uh so um yeah it's been it was a really great run doing the busking and i i'm always surprised that more people what but then again you know what i i went down after phoebe bridges concert mm, i was there um yeah and uh just to help annabelle out that night right and i was very surprised um 
that where, where where was everybody right where was everybody normally after a concert because the orpheum is right above mm. um the subway where we went and people they would be back in the day throngs of people coming down taking the subway back yeah, to harvard we square were, we were home. standing there going oh where is everyone where is everyone yeah. and you know what and then later i told you i figured it out it was uber after people take Ubers now, so um, even for new buskers, it's it's extra hard because the people from concerts like that they weren't there. People are connected to their gadgets. Everyone is in a completely private world. Um, if they are, I mean, once in a while they'll take the buds out of their ears and give a listen and truly enjoy it, but. Um, for the most part, people they don't they don't take risks anymore. They they want they like what they know. Yeah. Well, the already. other thing the other thing is there is um no one carries any money around. So, oh my god, that so too. If no one's got any money. They feel yep. well. I know I feel guilty if I'm standing there listening to a busker and I can't give them anything. Yeah, absolutely. All so the, just, all these things completely working against the buskers unless. They can um, kind of uh, use technology in their favor. Um, when Annabelle was busking last week, that's, Annabelle's my daughter, by the way, and she plays in the subway in Boston um, every once in a while. But So she was busking, and I did the live Facebook video feed. You know, did, yeah. Were you watching it? Yeah, I saw a bit of it. I was at work, yeah. so I could only look at it for a minute. <laughs> So I thought, hey, you know, the next time she does this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some links to um, a Venmo page yeah, that or she, um, or yeah, Venmo or PayPal. And what we'll do is we'll this is like truly busking online. It's in real time, and one of the well, one aspect of busking that that is very cool and it's unlike. It's not like a gig. It's in that the spontaneity of, of people and how like the, the entertainment <laughs> of watching someone else's reaction. Not not just the the artist that's playing, the performer, whatever, but watching the people watching them. Yeah, that's always really fun. And it's cool and because when you do that live thing on Facebook, it's like you look and everyone's giving them the thumbs up and they're giving the comments live in real yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. But what they, but what these people are also seeing are the people in real life watching her yeah. and their reactions yeah. and and the the the, the entire ambiance of the subway i mean not like the subway is a very exciting exciting thing to be watching but it's it is actually just like being there but you know what's um, weird about that it's like you just it's like the anti reason of having a device like what you were just saying is people are in their <laughs> own worlds and they're connected to yeah. their yeah yeah and yeah things, but then they're right? looking at the busker in their gadget like, for oh example, my God. I, I was walking true. down the street, you know, getting uh -huh. my lunch and I was looking at the gig 
that I was looking at Annabelle busking in the subway while I was walking down a street looking at my gadget not knowing what was going on around me. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So the really the only way um, to get around all this shit is to is to join it and to try to break more rules. Yeah. And to do something um, unconventional and mix always and this is the secret i think of success when it comes to many things when it comes to a great band a great song a great song you you take um necessity and you mix it with tradition right um and and right now it's like do we does she want to do that probably not you know the tying venmo in and tying paypal in and doing all that shit right but it it's and it's if she wants to make money doing music, it's one of the only ways that she's going to be able to do it. I mean, yeah, it uh, it's just a million people out there. I heard a quote James Taylor was talking on this Oprah thing, whatever, um, and he said, "Yeah, there's way more doors open now for musicians than ever before," and he said, "But unfortunately." You get in the room, and there's hundreds and hundreds of other people that got in the door as yeah, well. Exactly. So in the room, they so it's like what are you gonna... with you. Well, it's just you know, the, of course, many more doors open. But when you're, it's not going to be four people in there anymore. It's going to be hundreds of people. Well, that goes so... back what, to what we were saying before about people like Josh Rosenthal, who uh-huh. are the filters for us. Ah, I know, and, know? and that's. And they've a lot of that has gone by the, the wayside, and that it's really important. Record labels and people like that—they're really, really important because it's just—it's too much. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of depend on um, music critics or um, journalists or uh, yeah, DJs a lot of them are and getting stuff. Kickbacks, and we don't trust them. It's exactly. hard to find someone to trust. So yeah, exactly. So if somebody's gonna like invest in a band um or a person um like real money right uh there's a good chance that they they want to make that money back and and often they want a career artist not someone that because it's their name that goes along with it and if they're reputable Mm. they want they want quality stuff that's gonna stand the test of time yeah exactly and so you, they're, they're, they are uh, some of our best filters. Yeah, and it's like, it is like, I always think of the analogy of panning for gold. You know, <laughs> you get a shovel and you get a shovel full of dirt from the creek bed and you put it through the <laughs> thing and the, and the gold sinks to the bottom and stays there. <laughs> it's, the, yeah. it's the glimmer that you see through all the, the silt and the crap. And that's like when you look and you listen to a lot of new music, you just got to mm. you got to listen to it and and make your own judgment. You can't just rely on nah on what everyone else is telling you because you know you got to trust your own ears. Yeah, and and if you know years from that 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 um, judgment, you, you find out that you were wrong. It it could be that you found out that you were wrong in terms of finance the financial aspect. Um, the financial aspects of the band's popularity or whatever. So years later, the uh, the band that you passed on might have done financially uh, or popularity-wise very, very well. Um, 
but it still it it still doesn't mean that you were wrong in in deciding on passing um on them back when you could have had them because if you don't like them you don't like them and it's kind of yeah it's, you got to you, you you have to go with your total with your gut oh absolutely and and it's also like um you know you get that reverse snobbery of music where people get sort of annoyed if bands they discovered early on get popular but you know what I'm really happy that if someone really good that I've followed all the way through gets really popular and reaches a mainstream because it means that they're well, doing yeah. well and well, that yeah, people are getting a choice out there of hearing something really good <laughs> instead of you know all this manufactured stuff. So I, I don't, I've never really understood that thing where. No, I've never understood that either. Yeah. Um, and that kind of reminds me, uh, that notion reminds me of that Bevis Fraun song, The Only oh, yeah. One, I'm the Only yeah. One. <laughs> <laughs> so they want you all to themselves. But, at the, you know, in terms of a band's popularity or an artist's popularity or whatever, if they did well, if they didn't do well, if they were popular, not pro- nothing would change my mind about the way I felt about them. Not even my friends, uh, you know. The I would only always... thing, the only thing that would change my mind is if they developed a different style that was totally foreign to what I liked about them in the first place. <laughs> well, if they got good, that might change my mind. But generally, a band, yeah. I mean, people might say, but they're so nice or they're so this. I don't give a shit, you know. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I mean, I'm saying it in the reverse way, that if I liked a band that that got really popular, you know, yeah. or or didn't, you know, the only thing that would change my mind about them is if they changed their musical style about what I liked about them. You know? oh, if, oh, and then you didn't like them anymore. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's it's all interesting because, as you say, we get YouTube, we get everyone can put a single on iTunes. It doesn't matter what. There's no, there's no label doing it. It's just people doing it. So it's mm-hmm. you know, GarageBand is on everyone's computer if you got a Mac, and then they're doing that. And there's no, um, you know, it's like when everyone used to get four tracks when that started up and people would just be mm-hmm. putting cassettes out and selling them and mm-hmm. it's like sometimes you hit the jackpot sometimes you get the gold and sometimes you listen to a whole lot of stuff before you find that mm-hmm. but the key is that you listen and that's yeah. really important I yeah think so definitely anyway. and, and know how to hear know how to hear past um the initial um I don't know the initial weirdness or whatever I mean like with someone like Daniel Johnston, the yeah. a quintessential lo-fi um, artist, right? Uh, I mean, you hear a song and you think, "What the fuck is this?" And then, <laughs> but it—I knew right away. You know, I—I I knew I loved it right away. Um, I didn't need someone to say, "Well, he's—he's he's like this or he's like that," and that's why I, I don't care why I love him. No, because you know? you're connected with it. That's the thing. You. Yeah. You made a connection because of the lyrics and the delivery and what he had to say made that connection to you. 
So it didn't matter whether it was made in his bedroom or made in a million no. dollar studio or whatever. Yeah, but he was one of those first guys with the cassettes and the lo-fi and the yeah. thing and um, all that. There's so much, so much we have to talk about. I know. <laughs> yeah. We've so got cool. a lot to talk about, but we were sort of thinking that each week we might um, finish off with a music discovery that we've heard this week and it could be someone we know that we've heard before but we've never heard this song before or it could be someone brand new that we've never heard before and we're gonna give that information out there so that you can have a listen as well because as we said the filters are getting few and far between but (laughs) if if we like something well we want to share it with you so um this week um, Mary Lou, what did you find? Um, yeah, um, I found this uh, duo. Um, I think that they're from Baton Rouge. Uh, Baton oh. Rouge again. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I actually think they're from Baton Rouge. Um, or Mobile. I don't know. Um, named Clay Parker and Jody James. And the song that I heard them doing was called Gallows Tree. Yeah, they kind of reminded me a little bit of um, like Gillian Welsh and Dave Rawlings. They've got that real uh, connected vocally, um, like nobody's business. Beautiful, beautiful harmonies. Uh, Both of their voices are outstanding. Um, I think that the song that I heard, again, it's called Gallows Tree, was an original. Um, Not sure, but definitely um, check out Clay Parker and Jody James. Well, I'm going to listen to that because I missed it last week when you posted it. Because I, it's yeah, you got to listen, Marianne. They're great. I definitely will. Really, incredibly special, and she's a a very delicate but very um, very very good guitarist. And so is he. Their guitars together, they just kind of dance. Wow. Um, they, yeah, they're absolutely bonded very very special i can't say enough about this duo how did you hear them i just heard them on youtube actually Mm. um i don't know what i was looking at um before that connected me into that but it could have been a a recommendation wow that's cool Um, yeah well i've got one actually um i've been listening to an album in my car a cd because I'm an old person, um, and I actually bought the CD at the gig from the person, personally. Um, I saw this band in LA about a month ago, and they're called Bird Streets, mm. and they're really cool, power pop kind of thing. Um, the guy's name is John Broder, I think is how you... I know him. Yeah. I know that guy. Yeah. And I did a gig with him. Did you? Well, I've done a gig with him. Oh He's my, really great. Oh He's my really nice. Oh, God. They sound fantastic. And the album's really good. It's got Jason Faulkner co-produced it with him. And wow. he's playing guitar on it. And it's just amazing. And I saw them do a gig at the Hotel Cafe when I was in LA in Hollywood there. And it was just so good. Like the album's... Yeah, people are loving, loving that album. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Betting on the Sun is the track I suggest mm-hmm. people listen to because it's really good. Cool. So that's mine for this week, but I'm going to have two for next week. Yeah, I'll have two as well. So each week there will be four. You'll have two, I'll have two. 
Yeah. We were a bit And slack. there will be there'll be links, right? At the yeah. bottom yeah. of our thing. Okay. Yeah. We'll put a link to it. But um that's really I wish we could play them. I wish I we could know. play them on this. Well we we can't because we get sued. And this is the <laughs> whole thing. And every podcast <laughs> I listen to is the same and they have that lame keyboardy kind of ambient music in the background and that just really annoys me. So I'd rather That have annoys nothing. the shit out of me. I'd rather hear nothing. Yeah, me too. You just said that. Yeah. yeah. I just Ugh. What's the point? I know. Or like really, really long intros. Like, what? I don't want to hear that shit. Exactly. And also, I don't want to hear like creepy music behind me while I'm talking. Or I don't want to hear that. I I don't want to hear like a lounge music type thing. And we don't need a theme song. We can just (laughs) launch in. I think it probably like to non-music people, I think they probably don't mind it. It's just like wallpaper in the back. But I think that that people that are sensitive to music would rather not hear that. Yeah. And I know that there's a lot of people listening. <laughs> well, I hope that a lot of people listening are music people. Yeah, they are. And they most likely. So if you any of you guys have anything to say about that, like, do you like that we don't have music behind us? Or would you rather us have music behind us? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, let us know. <laughs> let us, us some, know. Give us some feedback. <laughs> Okay, so there you go. We've we've covered a lot of ground. We've been we've been to London, we've been to Melbourne, we've been back to Boston, <laughs> we've been to San Francisco, we've been to LA, we've been everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I've been everywhere. <laughs> oh my god, that's I so love that song, I've gotta tell you. Oh, you'll get sued for singing that bar. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> Sue me, bitch. Yeah. Um No. Well it, it's well it's like, you know, I'm I, I try to tell a story, right? And Kevin, my ex-husband, he would say that when I would, I would go to Walgreens, and he, and that would mean I started very linear in my story, and then I just went completely off the, off the rails, off the track, off the path. Um, I like going <laughs> I would to Walgreens. End up in Walgreens. Uh, so, I, I know it's like when you when you go off the path, right? Some really interesting finds and discoveries can be made when you're off the path so yes i i do go off the path but hopefully um i come back to it we come back to it and there's something interesting that we discovered on the way so there is and speaking of discovering interesting things we've been secretly in the background we've been collecting a few stories and we'll be dispersing them out there every now and again um Mm. but that at at the moment we're just collecting a few stories from our listeners out there. So if you have any stories, you know, let us know. Marianne, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have to interrupt you because there was, I reopened the thread, um, na- name something that you've d- done that you're pretty sure that none of my friends have ever done. And now there's there's many, many more oh. um, replies. And there was one tonight that I think we should uh, visit. I don't, I don't remember the person's name, but he said... Um, I watched uh, Wheel of Fortune with uh, I watched JD Salinger watching Wheel of Fortune. With, uh, I, I, oh my god, I can't tell the story. He said, Come back from Walgreens. Saw, wait, let me let me find it. It's it's on the wall. Hold on, let me look. It's so great. Like this thread is crazy. Well, I'll tell right? you another one while you're looking for that one because okay, okay. I actually messaged the guy. Um, and he's going to tell us the story. He was insulted by Don Rickles. 
<laughs> and I just thought, God, what would you have had to have done to get insulted by Don Rickles? I want to know what. That's good. I want to know how the hell that happened. How the hell did that happen? And there's another one from that thread that I really want to find out, and that is this guy who ended up in Imelda Marcos's shoe closet with Woody Allen. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I want to know that one too. Yeah. So there's yeah. a few out there, but we're not going to mm-hmm. give away too much because we're trying to get these people to to tell us and we can record them and we can just play little segments every now and again when we think that um, they might be appropriate. Yeah. I'm still looking for it. Um, what's weird is that now there's like three of them because I split them and I sh- when I would share them, they would show up independently of each other. So now some of the comments are, um, they're kind of all over the place. So that wraps it up for this week. Uh, did you, oh, actually, before we sign off, did you find that J.D. Salinger post? I did. Um, it's it's pretty funny, and I would love to know the rest of the story. Um, it's from a guy named Michael, and again, it's on the epic thread of uh, name something you've done. Um, and he says, I hung out with J.D. Salinger in his living room while he watched Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> oh, my and, God. Right? It's just like, what? I'd really like to know the rest of the story. And that just goes back to your other analogy of it being like a dream, like that guy. Absolutely, yeah. right? Like like a Mitch like the Mitch Hedberg yeah. dream that I love when he says dreams are weird. He's like he's like the other night I had to go out and build a go-kart with my ex-landlord. It's like okay, it's so weird. Um but yeah, that is, really that's weird. surreal. I can't imagine anyone being in that situation and being able to tell us about it, like anyone that we remotely know, at least. Right, exactly. That's the thing is that we know who these people are talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, and so it makes it very interesting. Like all of them, to me, are very interesting. Yeah. Well. So we'll get, we'll get, we'll get more. We'll we get will. through this. We will get more. And if you like if you like us and you want us to keep going with this thing because, you know, we're just fledgling podcasters at the moment. We're finding our way still and we need feedback. So if you have any um, feedback, write into our Facebook page. Let us know what you think. Leave us a review on iTunes or just give us a five-star rating if you think that we're worthy <laughs> um, or wherever you listen like Podbean or Stitcher or any of those ones or Spotify. Just just um, keep listening, download, subscribe, all of those things, but only if you like us. We're not forcing people here, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll be back next time. We'll be back. You guys, please leave us a review. I hope you like it and we'll see you next week. Yeah. See ya. All right, bye. Bye.